back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. Uh, my name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark, and I'm very pleased to be joined today uh, by John Fithian, uh, who is the, the head of the National Association of Theater Owners, uh, NATO for short. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really happy to have uh, John on because as longtime listeners know, I'm a big proponent going to the movies going to the movies, not just watching movies, going to the movies. Uh, so I'm, I'm really I'm really happy to be talking to uh, the head of the Theater Owner Trade Association today. John, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Sonny. Uh, so let's talk let's talk a little bit about the last couple of years because they've been tough. It's been it's been a tough couple of years for uh, lovers of the theater like myself and, and theater owners in particular. What uh, what have you uh, heard from your members and from uh, members of the general public about the the state of movie going? Yeah, so our industry has been around for you know 110 years. People have been leaving their homes to go out and gather socially in movie theaters to have a shared collective experience for a very long time. And we were you know on the cusp of death, if you believe the media, when television came, when video came when dvds came and then when streaming came and the truth through all of that is that people love movies everywhere they love to go out to movies specifically as you described in your intro um and they love watching movies at home and and they're not they're not cannibalistic they don't fight each other it's just people like to do them different ways best way to see a movie we believe a lot of our customers believe and a lot of filmmakers believe is on the big screen with those fantastic sound systems so we have been doing great for a very long time, uh, right up until 2019, which was the biggest global grossing year, $42 billion in movie ticket sales around the world, rolling right into the beginning of 2020. And then boom, March of 2020, uh, we shut down in the West. We'd already shut down in China and the East uh, and everything came to a crashing halt. Uh, and so for, for two years, we struggled to get operational again by developing health protocols, by working with health departments and, and governmental leaders to prove that you could go back out safely to cinemas, which we have. And we've had all kinds of epidemiologists and scientists describe how coming to a movie theater is a safe experience, even during times of, of COVID. Um, but it's taken until now, really, for, for the full customer confidence in coming back out again. Uh, we are just now at that level where customers are saying, I am completely comfortable now. It's time to go out. It's time to share uh, in the social settings. The other the other part of the challenge was we couldn't get movies. Even when we were back up and operational, we're not like a grocery store or a restaurant that can serve local produce, right? And just have whatever's available in their region. We are a national and global industry that that needs movie theaters to be operational everywhere to justify the release of big blockbuster movies or even independent movies that need to grow. And so when we were partially open, partially closed, partially masked, partially not, partially social distance requirements, partially not, the film studios didn't want to put their movies into distribution into theaters because they couldn't get the, the return that they needed because a lot of places were so closed. So, we we worked through the pandemic with starts and stops and starts and stops. We came up to um, Spider-Man this last uh, December and it was a gigantic success. And everybody said, hey, maybe people are ready to come back to the movies now. And then nonetheless, we had a bunch of movies pull out of January and February and we're back fighting it again. Now, just now, I, really starting with last weekend, 
is the beginning of the great slate of movies for the rest of the year and movies of all types. So we are, we are very, very confident about our growth the rest of this year and into 2023. Uh, if you look at the returns of Sonic 2 last weekend, which is a family movie, people said that families wouldn't come back out to cinemas, did more than seven, $70 million domestically. It outgrossed the first Sonic in its opening weekend. Clearly, people are ready to come back to the movies. And the good news is the slate uh, for the rest of the year looks looks really, really good. So we're very confident about the regrowth, rebirth, whatever you want to call it, of the of the cinema experience. Um, and 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 we're excited to get back into that kind of business. Yes, the 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 impact of the pandemic was severe, right? I mean, we have a lot of companies that had to accumulate a lot of debt and furlough a lot of people. And we help them get government grants in some cases and tax breaks in others and, and, and help them weather the storm so they wouldn't have to go out of business. But now they're very excited to get back to selling tickets, having full auditoriums and making money again. So long answer, but we're, we're right. This is a good time for this interview. We're right on the cusp of the rebirth of the whole thing. So we're really excited. Yeah, we're going to talk about CinemaCon here in a minute, which uh, it has a real exciting, exciting slate of you know panels and, and debuts. Finally. Top Gun Maverick hitting hitting big screens here in a in a in a bit. Um, I, I I do want to I want to talk a little bit about uh, before we move off of this, just just about how uh, theaters have kind of upgraded in the age of COVID to to protect people and make make folks more comfortable. Because I you know I as somebody who again kind of evangelizes a lot for going to theaters, I get a lot of in 2020. I was getting a lot of you know, how dare you suggest people go to theaters? There's a pandemic on. In 2021, it was a little bit less. And now I basically don't hear that anymore. You get the occasional like, oh, there's still a disease. Well, okay, fine. But the 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 efforts that theaters have made to upgrade ventilation, uh, uh, air conditioning, all of that, what, what were some of those steps? So I can tell people, you know, when they say this, well, this is what theaters have done. And these, these are still in place. Uh, so you really don't have anything to worry about. Sure. So I'll answer the, the, it's a really good question. I'll answer it in two parts. The first is a series of protocols we had in place during the, the worst part of the pandemic. And by the worst part of the pandemic, I don't mean when we were closed entirely. I mean, when we started to open and come out of it, we opened consistent with a set of protocols backed by epidemiologists and approved by a bunch of health officials um, that were appropriate for that time. Some of those new protocols are ongoing and will be forever, and some were short-term, right? So we had uh, social distancing. We had uh, mask policies. We had uh, a lot of of the CDC-recommended, state health department-recommended protocols for the time of COVID in place. Um, and millions and millions of people came back to the cinemas and we didn't have a single outbreak of COVID noted anywhere in cinema, unlike restaurants, unlike churches, unlike gyms, uh, there wasn't, there wasn't a a single case of an outbreak at a movie theater. And part of the reason for that is the nature of going to the movies. Okay. The way that COVID spreads is through breath and through particles as people breathe and talk. Right. So at a gym, when people are exercising, they're they're expelling a lot of air Uh, at restaurants when they're sitting around a table talking to each other. um, They're they're talking across each other. 
uh, at churches where people are singing and, and praying and, and um, I'm not trying to undermine those, those, those activities. I'm just saying that the physical nature of these activities is much more dangerous during COVID than it is in a movie theater. Because you come to a movie theater, you sit in your seat, you're all facing the same direction and you watch a movie, right? And for the most part, you're not jumping up and down, exercising and talking and singing and that kind of thing. So the nature of the activity, we actually have a bunch of scientific studies on this, is actually safer in a theater than it is anywhere going out of your home. So that was the first phase. Uh, and then as we've entered this, the the exit of the pandemic, let's call it, the beginning of the endemic, the let's call it a flu, whatever it is now, um, some of those very important protocols remain because we've learned that this is, you know, uh, something that may come back. Um, but, but some of them were very temporary. So we're not social distancing anymore. Uh, we're not, we don't have mask policies anymore, uh, with the exception of Philadelphia, which just put a mask policy back on, which, which kind of blows my mind because they're the only place in the country that's now requiring masks again, but we'll follow the protocols. But the things that you mentioned are permanent. Right. We did substantial upgrades to the HVAC systems because the way that an air, the air moves in a movie theater is very important to the safety of our customers. Now, we have really high ceilings. Uh, we have powerful uh, air circulation systems. And so uh, the, the upgrading of those systems meant you got less air sticking with you, which, again, is much better than restaurants with low ceilings and gyms and all that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of our places, uh, uh, theater operators upgraded their filtering systems and the cleaning process is still much better than it was back pre pandemic, right? We've learned about, uh, the importance of, of, uh, of keeping our, our places clean. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're mindful of these things. We still ask people who feel sick not to come to theaters. Um, but Again, some of the protocols remain, some of the protocols were short term, uh, and we've had, knock on wood, an incredibly uh, healthy experience of people coming to the movies uh, during this during this pandemic and coming out of it. Yeah, uh, that's just a good rule in general. If you feel sick, folks, stay at home. Don't don't go out to, to the theaters or anywhere else. Um, uh Let's all right. So let's let's talk a little bit. You mentioned uh, having studios as partners, and I, I think that's a that's an interesting um, angle here to discuss because there is a uh, there 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 is a real partnership between movie theaters and movie studios. Movie studios need the theaters to make money. Uh, movie theaters obviously need the studios for product, um, and it has been. It, it there there has been some tension there between you know trying to get folks back into the theaters with new product and also the studio setting up essentially their own streaming services and also audience confusion. I mean, this is the big thing for me is when I tell people, you know, oh, uh, you should go see Ambulance in theaters, just to use a, a new example. You should go see Ambulance in theaters. They say, well, it's going to be on Netflix in two weeks, right? I'm like, well, no, it's not. It's 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 not. It's it's hard to. Uh, I understand that, you know, Michael Bay's last movie went straight to Netflix. This one is not. Um, how are you, uh, the theaters, kind of trying to, to, to help folks understand the distinction between what's, what's on streaming and what's in theaters? Yeah, it's a really good question. And some people describe the, the, the streaming services as antithetical to the movie cinema experience and vice versa. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, our research shows that the more ways people have to watch movies in the home, in other words, their computers, their their um, television sets, their phones or whatever, the more devices they have to watch movies at home, 
the more often they go to cinemas. Movie lovers are movie lovers and want to watch them everywhere. And sometimes they want our shared cultural experience of going out on date night or family night or get out of the house so that, you know, the, the phone's not ringing and the kids aren't bothering you or your parents aren't bothering you and you get, you get an escape and go to the cinema. And sometimes they just want the comfort of watching a movie in the home. And, and they do both. So the idea that, that the advent of streaming services um, is bad for or is going to kill the cinema is, is false. In fact, we've seen streaming services bring back some kind of movies that then became popular in cinemas again, like documentaries. Nobody was showing docs 10 years ago. And then Netflix and a couple of the streaming services started bringing people people's attention to see documentaries. And then, oh my gosh, we can play documentaries in theaters again. And boom, we started having a, a, a good run of, of documentaries in theaters. So the two are synergistic. What's not synergistic is what's going on right now. And I'll just call that uh, the insane streaming wars that are not about business models to make money, right? Right now we have nine or 10 streaming services. The American consumer is not going to shell out nine or 10 subscriptions, um, three, maybe four at the most. But it's just not possible that all these streaming services survive. They're going after subscribers with, with loss leading models, right? They're putting content straight to the streaming service at the same time they put them in theaters, which is a disastrous business model. The, the research shows that you lose money both in the theater and at home by doing it at the same time. Um, if you put a movie in a theater for an exclusive period, what we call a window, what you do is establish the brand of the movie. It becomes known in the cultural consciousness. And then when you debut it exclusively on your streaming service later, people want to see it at home too, because now they know about it. Movies that go straight to streaming services are often lost as people sit there fumbling with their menus of 10,000 choices and don't even know, you know what they're going for. Nonetheless, a lot of content during the pandemic went straight to streaming services. But that was for two reasons. One was the pandemic. In other words, they, they didn't think that they could make the money they wanted off the theaters. Now that we're coming out and people are coming back to the movies again in pretty large numbers, that practice of simultaneous release doesn't exist anymore. Movies are either going to cinemas first with an exclusive release period, or they're made for um, streaming movies and they're going straight to streamers. And that's great. That's the way it always was. There have always been movies made for DVD or made for HBO television or made for the home. Movies that are made for cinemas need to be seen in cinemas first with a window. And that's what's now happening. So I think, again, apologies for a long answer. I think in a couple of years, the streaming wars die down, right? You go from nine or 10 streaming services to, to three or four maybe five at the most, but probably three or four. And then big major movie studios go back to the process of making money and entertaining people in different formats. Uh, and and that's, you know, we, we just know that they make more money out their big movies if they go theatrical first with the window. And I'll use, I'll use Spider-Man as my example. Sony doesn't have its own streaming service. So they went for it with Spider-Man right, you know, during the, fourth wave of the pandemic and everybody said that they were crazy to put that movie out in december and it's the third biggest movie of all time in the united states of america so people are ready to come back to the cinemas when we get the movies now we're getting the movies and the streaming wars will uh will exhaust themselves soon and 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 we can roll out more of these uh, models that make sense both for theatrical and for the streaming services yeah uh i uh i i mean this is totally right you're 
what you are kind of alluding to here is the waterfall of revenue, right? The the waterfall from theatrical to home video to streaming, et cetera, et cetera. Every time you release that movie in theaters, the waterfall is larger. That's right. just that is what that is that is the fact of the matter. Um, all right, so let's let's talk about CinemaCon because CinemaCon is back. Uh, you know, it's it's obviously like everything else that has been in person has been you know kind of over the last couple of years has been you know is some some people show up, some people don't. It's it's uh, it is back in Las Vegas in a couple of weeks here, uh, it is. starting in April twenty fifth. Is that right? Exactly through the twenty eighth. That's right. Um, so what uh, what are you most looking forward to? At, I have a couple of questions about some of these panels, which which look very interesting. But uh, obviously, the big event is the uh, the first, I believe, public screening of Top Gun Maverick uh, is going to be going to be taking place here. Um, what else, uh, in addition to that, are you are you looking forward to? So for many years before the pandemic, CinemaCon was a place where the entire movie industry gathered. By that, I mean studios that make movies, um, directors that make movies, stars that star in movies, and then thousands and thousands of theater owners that show their movies all around the world. And the idea is that uh, once a year, the global movie industry comes together and it's a business conference, right? We're not selling tickets to the public to these things, but but maybe down the road, I, I don't really want to become a Comic-Con, but, but about 5,000 people in the industry come. And we show a lot of movie clips, a lot of, uh, not just trailers, but like extensive clips from movies in the making where the directors will talk about what the movie's going to look like. Sometimes they're not even finished. They're not color corrected. They, the sound's off sometimes. But, um, but what we're doing is giving sneak peeks to movies, to theater operators, to get excited about them, to know what's coming uh, and, and to get jazzed about marketing and talking up these movies that are coming. We do, we do a few full length feature screenings, but there's just not enough time during the week to do a lot of those. So all the, all the major studios and some of the independents as well, come and show product uh, in the Coliseum at Caesar's Palace, which is a, just a, a fantastic place to show movie content. Uh, we built the, I think most expensive projection booth in the world in Caesar's Palace. So we have all the best equipment, all the different ways you want to show a movie, all the different sound systems. Uh, it's 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 a very impressive technological display of, of cinema prowess because we want people to see movies uh, that way, right? Um, there's also a trade show, all the latest in reclining seats and popcorn and candies and food and beverage and, and projectors and all that stuff. Big, gigantic trade floor where people come and do business and buy equipment and look what the new innovations are. And then you alluded to this, there's also an educational um, channel, if you will, of, of the convention where there are seminars or panels uh, where people talk through the issues of the day. And we've got some, we got some really good people participating. So it's about the movies. It's about how we show the movies and, and equip the movie theater houses and feed people. Uh, and it's about education of of where the industry is going. You you mentioned feeding people because I and I want I want to highlight that just for a second because it really does feel like the evolution of the movie theater into, um, you know you you have you have kind of a two a two front uh, movie theater situation right now. You have you, you know your kind of standard theaters where you go you get popcorn. Maybe maybe they have a bar where you can get a beer or something. And then you have you know your almost sit down restaurants that also show movies, right? Your right. draft houses, your studio movie grills, whatever, right. stuff like that. Um, what is the, what is the 
state of the industry look like in terms of food service and beverage service? Because it, it really does seem like kind of an exciting and mm, evolutionary time in the in the industry. Oh, it is, um, <clears throat> which is one of the hardest things about the pandemic shutting us all down. I mean, we had we had movie theaters trying to sell food and beverage off their curbs, right? Because they <laughs> couldn't yeah. let anybody in the building. Um, but but let's, let's move beyond that pandemic thing. So food <laughs> and beverage service uh, is a growing part of the cinema experience around the world, actually. Uh, it kind of started in Europe and then it took off bigger in the U.S. Um, we have always had the popcorn, the sodas, the candies, right? Some places, the hot dogs. And that's kind of standard concession fare at movie theaters for years and years and years. And we still sell a lot of those. But as you correctly described, we've also been upgrading and innovating with full-on food and beverage service. And there are a bunch of different models. One is you order from your seat in the cinema with, with a tray that pops up and ninja-like waiters that come in and take your order and, and bring you your food and beverage. Um, some you order ahead of time and you pick it up on your way in. And then there, there, isn't, there aren't people coming in and out of the theater. Um, and then, and then others are, are traditional concession service outside. And we found that different, and some have alcohol and some don't, right? Uh, we found that different patrons in different groups like different experiences. Some love the waiter service. Some love sitting in their recliner and saying, man, I could really use a beer for the second half of this movie and punch a button and it shows up. Um, you know, my nachos, like the, I want some more, that kind of thing. Um, or sushi at some of these places or high end, you know, F and B of other types. Some people don't want that distraction in the auditoriums. They really like nice food and beverage options, but they want them outside. They buy their glass of wine. They, they buy their chicken salad and they take it in with them. Right. Um, and then some just like the, the traditional, but the overall impact on the business has been gigantic because we, <laughs> In the movie theater business, you know, a lot of our patrons are like, well, you make, you know, you, you just made 13 bucks on my ticket. No, we didn't. Like the majority of that goes to the movie studio. Mm -hmm. Majority of the ticket you're paying goes to the studio who licenses us the right to play that film. But when you, when, when you buy a hamburger at a movie theater, that's all us. That's how we stay alive and grow and, and profit. Um, and so the, the exciting thing about the business side is that the food and beverage average, we call it the per capita food and beverage spend, has been rising substantially uh, in the last you know five or six years. Um, it used to be that you would see, wow, $2.50 a head on concession spend is a good average. You know, maybe, maybe everybody got the, the equivalent of one soda or one bag of popcorn or whatever. And now you see averages of like $10, $12, $15 because, um, because people are spending a lot more because they love the food and beverage innovations. Yeah, I can confirm. I mean, I will say that since I move, I live in Dallas now uh, and I live about five minutes from a draft house and I uh, when I go there, I'm having, you know, either a soda and a popcorn because I like having it brought to my table or a beer. And that is, you know, not uh, that is way more than I, I was. I was never a popcorn person before that. And now. Now it's what I do. All right, so let's let's talk about a couple of these CinemaCon panels because I uh, the one that jumped out at me was the gaming and esports panel. How to how to use theaters beyond serving as movie houses? Because I, I this is a thing I hear from folks a lot is you know oh uh, you know I would I would love to go see I, the new episode I, I want to go see the new Breaking Bad premiere on on 
right. in a theater. Or I want to go see uh, the Cotton Bowl in a theater. Uh, I want to go see, um, you know, sports, a, a, a fight. I want to go see a UFC fight in a theater. And it's not it's not something that, I, frankly, I, I ever see in theaters. It does feel like a a sort of next step evolution. Okay, it's not just movies. It's also you can watch uh, the new Mayweather fight. You know, you can you can watch uh, University of Texas play University of Southern California. Like, I'm I, I'm curious what the theater owners uh, are thinking in this in this regard and how they are, uh, you know, trying to uh, kind of evolve uh, a bit uh, as businesses. So it's a it's a really good question as well, and uh, it's a big focus of the launch of our Cinema Foundation, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But the idea of broadening out the offerings beyond just movies um, has been around for a very long time, but has never really taken off, with a few exceptions. When we when we switched from film to digital projection, you know, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. Um, we had the capability of doing something other than showing just movies, <clears throat> but the whole focus was on showing movies and the technical specifications for that equipment was designed by the studios, not by us because they were helping to pay for the transition. Um, so everything was designed about what's the best way to show a movie. Um, but we weren't thinking about what about the wiring and the internet capabilities and the bandwidth necessary to do a gaming competition. We weren't thinking about, enough about like, let's live stream a rock concert from one city into another in movie theaters. We weren't thinking about uh, the debut of a television show or, a, or a, um, a, you know, the premiere of a new series on a streaming service being shown in cinemas first. And then everybody goes and watches all the rest of the episodes, you know, at home. Um, and now we are. Uh, the one thing that worked over time, bizarrely, was the opera. We had no idea that that would work. And because the opera is only available live in, in certain big cities, we've, we found that selling tickets to the opera in Omaha, Nebraska, to the New York Met was worth, you know, 20 bucks a ticket and people would show up in their tuxedos. And um, so that's like the one thing that worked, but a lot of other stuff didn't. And so now we're really digging into what does it mean as a technological proposition to make cinemas purveyors of all different types of content? Uh, what does it mean as a marketing proposition? People think about going to movie houses for movies. How do you make them entertainment centers? How do you how do you draw people's awareness to the fact that there are lots of different cool choices of what to watch or play or participate in at a movie theater? And so we're now focusing on on uh, growing all those other lines of of, of business. Uh, and I, I think it's the next I think it's the next big part of our business. Uh, recliners was a big part of our business. Food and beverage, which you've already talked about, was a big part of our business and, and going upscale on that. And and thinking of movie houses as entertainment centers where you can watch the newest movie or you can or you can watch a prize fight or you can participate in a in a gaming competition um, is, is the next wave, I think. Is there any chance of working with a Sony or Microsoft to kind of upgrade that video game potential experience, the esports, you know, in terms you mentioned working with the studios to get the 3D projectors, the new digital projectors. in. I mean, is is there a a way to do the same sort of thing with gaming companies to to create this idea of theaters as not only 
theatrical hotspots, but also gaming hotspots. Absolutely. Um, and, and before the pandemic, Sony actually had a whole division of people working on gaming innovations, virtual reality, um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, not just for the home, but for, for gathering at entertainment places and movie theaters was one of those, right? And then it all kind of stopped for a while. And now, now people are looking at it again. Um, and so we are, uh, I'm going to segue this into the Cinema Foundation because it's just, it's yeah. right, it's right on point here if I can. So we're launching something called the Cinema Foundation, uh, which is a place where multiple parts of the industry to, can gather and talk about these issues. NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners, is a trade body that just represents people that operate movie theaters, right? We have a unified voice. We lobby governments. We talk to the studios. We talk to the movie directors as, as theater owners, and that's what NATO is. But what the foundation is, uh, which will be consistent with the purposes of NATO, but will have a much broader participation so technology companies are on the board of the foundation, right? Food and beverage companies are on the board of the foundation, along with people that operate theaters. Uh, and we're going to launch something called the Center for Innovation and Technology within the Cinema Foundation. And that's going to be all about this stuff you and I are talking about right now, right? It's about bringing people who make content together with people that make technologies together with people that operate movie theaters how do we innovate in the cinema space and do things like gaming better, like live sports better, like um, live streaming of other content better um, and, and have it be an open platform where everybody in the industry comes together in open dialogue and maybe comes up with basic technical standards. But again, the innovations will be made in the proprietary competitive marketplace, but at least have a dialogue about where this is all going. And secondly, do the research. Have, have a significantly funded foundation that's doing the consumer research on what people want to do in cinemas and how, right? Um, so that, so that we're, we're, we're thinking broadly about how best to use the space to serve the consumer. Um, and so we're very excited about the launch of the foundation. It's, it's kickoff is at um, CinemaCon. We've got a couple panels that are, that are foundation run panels. Um, and, and then in May, we start working with our with our partners across the various parts of the industry on these innovative uh, ideas. Yeah. I mean, I, the, in my, in my, in my question notes here, I, I had highlighted the innovation and technology section of the, the foundation, because I do think that that is the most interesting, uh, the most interesting angle here, just in terms of what uh, can be presented, how, how the experience will change for the consumer. Um, and, uh, is there any, can you, are there any, is there any preview you can give us? What, what are you, what are you guys, uh, thinking in terms of big, big changes? Yeah. Well, the gaming panel at CinemaCon is not just by happenstance, right? I mean, that's, that's a sign of one of the big areas of focus of the innovation and technology center because gaming is hugely popular. Um, we've experimented with it a little bit in cinemas and the, and the real, the real gamers tell us we're not doing it right. We're not doing it right. Technologically, we're not doing it right in how to market. We're not doing it right in conjunction with the gaming leagues. Um, and so we want to bring them in, right? True leaders of, of gaming industry and true gamers come join us at this foundation and tell us what you want. Tell us how we can build the right auditorium and equip it with the right technologies to really expand what you're doing. 
Um, but it's it's everything else you and I've talked about. It's not it's not it's everything that's that's beyond movies. Yes, we also want to make sure we're doing the movies right. That's that's always going to be our bread and butter. We're not going to desert showing movies and movie cinemas. Uh, but we but we want to bring in the experts to talk about research and develop the ways to do all this other stuff much better in cinemas. And and we're we're excited about it. Let me I, I just to drill down a little bit on the esports. Are we are we talking about having uh, tournaments live in theaters, like doing you know a you know we're gonna we're gonna show up at the AMC North Park here in Dallas and we're gonna have a you know a, a, a Halo tournament. Or are we talking about broadcasting the uh, the 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 big events from um, the world of gaming and esports uh, live to theaters in kind of a metropolitan opera sort of way? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it's it's all of the above, and it's also um, you know multiple multiple player games in the same auditorium, right? So it's it's organized tournaments. Where, where some of the tournament players happen in a big cinema or happen in multiple cinemas, right? So you're actually, you know, a lead cinema in Chicago is going up against a team of gamers, the lead cinema in New York, and they're, they can all see what's going on, on on the big screen, cut into multiple pieces if they need to, et cetera, et cetera. Or it's just a local gaming experience for people to come together and game uh, in, in, in that environment. Um, or it's a broadcast of same, right? And it's also the live, hopefully live broadcast of same, uh, and, and different theaters will be doing different things in conjunction to the same event. So there are all those possibilities are out there. So, like I said, some of them we have already experimented with, um, uh, but we're, we're just, we're not, we're not using the best technologies yet. We're not using the best models. And so that's what the cinema foundation is about. In addition to several other things is, is, is bringing people together to design this stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I see behind you, you have an Avatar poster. You do. And I, I, I have to ask, uh, how excited are the theaters for Avatar 2? Uh, because that is, uh, I, I understand, look, I, I, it, is, it is always good to have big tent poles. I know everybody's excited for Top Gun Maverick. I know we're all excited for Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, etc. But Avatar 2 and James Cameron, uh, you know, these are, these are, properties and people who really believe in the theatrical experience, uh, who spent a lot of time and money upgrading theaters, uh, and you know, Avatar, there's a reason Avatar is the biggest film in the world by box office gross. Uh, so what are, what are theater owners hoping for, for, from Avatar 2? Well, uh, I, I'll get to Avatar 2 in one minute, but you're right that it's a gigantic slate of big movies and smaller movies. Um, Doctor Strange, Top Gun, Jurassic World, Lightyear, Minions, Thor, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Black Adam, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and then Avatar 2. Like all of those are this year and all of those could be gigantic movies. But it's not just those. We also People say that it's only about the blockbusters. No, it's not. We've got some smaller mid-budget pictures i'm really excited about like babylon from damien chazelle or the fablemans which is spielberg's semi-autographical project um a man called otto which is a tom hanks flick uh olivia wilde's got a movie don't worry darling etc so you know th this CinemaCon is going to be very very fun because we're going to be so our members are going to be so excited about what they're seeing about the movies coming up but yes avatar is special and jim cameron is special um, 
I've known I've known Jim for a long time, and everyone always underestimates him, right? Titanic was going to be the biggest box office flop with the greatest debt burden in the history of the cinemas, and they almost pulled the plug on that movie several times. Then Avatar, are you kidding me? I mean, Blue Creatures, um, what is this? I don't get it, right? And then it exploded into the cultural consciousness all, ac- all across the globe. This is not just a domestic phenomenon, right? And so, yeah, he's been off in New Zealand shooting uh, several more of these avatars for quite some time. And it takes him a while. The man's a perfectionist. The man uh, and John Landau, his producer, who's, who's one of the best in the business, um, they want things to be perfect. Sorry about that. Um, and it, it will be. And it's coming this December. Uh, our members have seen about 15 minutes of it and not just, probably wasn't supposed to say that, but what the heck. It is amazing as a technological proposition in the way that like these, these techniques weren't, weren't available when he made the first avatar, right? So technologically it's gorgeous. We're already working on making sure all the cinema technology upgrades are there and ready. We need them for all these big movies this year, but obviously Cameron insists on your, on your projection system and your sound system and everything being absolutely perfect when he puts the movie in your cinema house. And it will be. So it's it's going to be a fun ride in December when when Avatar comes out. Are there are there any uh, big technological upgrades that need to be made to the projectors for the for for this film? I mean, I'm just curious what the what that process actually looks like. Yeah. So uh, for this film in particular, but for lots of films, there are options that we want to be able to give customers. Right. We want to we want to give. Um, options and resolution and dynamic range. And we want to give 3d and 2d and we want to give a bunch of different technological options. Um, and Jim wants that he wants like all the best formats. Um, you know, the IMAXs and the Dolby cinemas and the, you name it, he wants them all to be at their best, uh, for the movie. Uh, and then he wants a little bit more. So there, there are all kinds of, of tweaking and upgrades and making sure that you're that your equipment's got the, the capabilities to offer this range of, of options to the consumer. It's not that every auditorium showing Avatar has to have everything. It's that there are lots of different ways to watch a gorgeous movie like that technologically, and, and we want them all to be available. Yeah. Uh, I always like to end these interviews by asking if there's anything I should have asked, uh, if there's anything uh, that you think folks should know about either CinemaCon or the Foundation or movies that are coming out, What whatever... Uh, I have foolishly failed to ask. I think you've covered the groundwork. I just would love, I mean, you're Sonny, you've been a movie lover and a movies and theaters lover for a while, which is why I was excited to come on your show. I mean, you've studied the, the art form and the business and you know that going to a movie in a cinema is a different experience than going at the home. And you've talked about it for a long time, man. So we are, we are right with you. I just want people to know that it's time. I mean, the movies are back. The cinemas are back. The technologies are 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 top notch, and you can't, you just can't w- experience a movie like this in the home. I don't care how big your flat screen is, or if you're watching it on your computer, ugh, or if you're watching it on your iPhone, ugger. I mean, come out to the cinema with 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 the big screen experience and the surround sound. Uh, with you cannot do this stuff at home. Most importantly, though, you can't have the human experience at home. You can't know when the person down the row from you who you've never met before 
is crying or laughing or bored or into it or scared and jumping out of their seats. That that kind of human emotion of a shared cultural experience has been part of the existence of human beings forever, going back to the campfires. And and it's time. We've all been through we've all been through a, a hellish pandemic. We've all been shut in our homes way too long, you know, driving our spouses crazy, driving our kids crazy, and vice versa. Um, it is now time. The movies are back. Uh, consumer confidence is high. Uh, I will see you at the movies because it's going to be a very exciting rest of the year. And um, that's that's where I'd end it. All right. Thank you very much for being on the show, uh, John. Uh, again, CinemaCon coming up. I'm sure there'll be tons of news out of there. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see all that. Uh, my name, again, is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, this has been Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. We'll see you guys next week with another episode. Mm-hmm.